Africa Calling, a bi-monthly podcast with sound-rich reports from our correspondents on the continent. African Voices reporting on African stories produced by Radio France International. and welcome to our Season 2, Episode 22 of the Africa Calling Podcast on July 8th, 2022. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We have a number of stories from the African continent this week, including some enterprising people in Bamenda, Cameroon, supplying the rest of area with fish. Plus, we'll take a look at genetically modified crops in Kenya and what that means for the future of farming. And still with Kenya, refugees here encounter red tape and a long wait in an effort to try and get registered. And finally, don't forget our special song at the end. Africa Calling. Find us on your favorite podcast platform app, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. In Bamenda, Cameroon, the Anglophone crisis continues to rock the two English-speaking regions, including the northwest capital city, which has hindered the supply of fish in the region. Some enterprising Northwesterners have embarked on creating local fish farms to boost fish supply in the region. For many, it's a side hustle. Although fish harvested in waters off the islands of Bambalang Village are still available, many local fish ponds are sprouting up in and around the city's capital. Correspondent Sylvie Yukfu visited various farmers there and files this report. Ayere Levis is an electrical engineer in his studies living in the remote village of Widikum in Cameroon's northwest region. For six years now, the region has been roiled by armed rebellion, lockdowns and ghost towns by Anglophone militia seeking a breakaway state from the French-dominated central government have led to a drastic drop in the quantity of basic commodities. This includes fresh fish. This pushed Ayere to embrace fish farming, which he now does alongside his electrical work. His three fish ponds are already going well. My first pond is 13 meters square. I have about 7,000 fingerlings of catfish. What actually motivated me to go into fishery was because there wasn't that constant supply of fresh fish in Willicombe due to the instability nature of the country. There were moments we could have lockdowns for about one month, so without, we could not have fresh fish. I will encourage consumption of our own fish that we drill more than imported because you harvest your fish, they are fresh. IRS story is not unique. Environmentalist Ama Wilson, founder of the organization known as Kiziski, Baumas Energy and Engineering Services in Quenbamenda 3 subdivision, has also taken interest in fish farming and has seven fish ponds. He also produces fish food. Fish farming is a very lucrative business and looking at it that in northwest Bamenda, we really don't have a river that can provide fish for the entire population. So it is of that nature that we have to develop a means of feeding our local population with fish that uh, will be more healthier to humans than meat. Wilson says it's a combination of reasons why he decided to start this side job. Right here we are reeling by the African catfish. 
from uh, uh, 2013, the World Food Program looked into the... Now that we have these shortcomings with uh, the COVID-19 that is restricting importation, uh, uh, the issue with the, the crisis in the Northwest region, it is now time for farmers to boost their, their fish pond, whether process or just a, a, a normal extraction of the fish to sell it fresh, process or in whatever form the market is readily available we grow the black flies and use their larvae for to feed the the, the fish these black flies are uh, we feed our fish with rice from the, the indoor plane we feed our fish with vegetables while the fish farmers are doubling their efforts to address the fish crisis in the region through the creation of fish ponds, the population still relies on fish that comes from the waters of Mbambalang and beyond. Mbambalang is a locality in the plains of Ngokitunja. Ernest Mukongo has been in the fish business for over 10 years. He sells smoked tilapia from Bambalang. Ernest says due to over-exploitation of the dam, fish production has reduced drastically. It has passed around three processes, from caching to drying. There's a dryer, the oil, like an oven. You make sure you have enough fire, you clean it, and you dry it. And this is what you are seeing here. Previously, we used to have fish from March to June, or July. Yeah, when the dam has gone down a bit, but now things are not more the same. People like bambalang fish because it's quite intuitive and it is uh, natural. This is not fish from pumps. Nubo Isidotsi specializes in selling fresh tilapia and cuts fish from bambalang at upstation in Bamenda in the evenings. Just like Ernest Mukongo, Numbo Isido admits due to insecurity, access to fresh fish in the area is challenging and expensive. In those days when we grew up, this quantity would not even reach up to 2,000 francs. Now it's very scarce. Bambala has so many islands because of this crisis, children run and hide there. Instead, they have instead increased since there's no schooling. There are some people who stayed in the island. When you call them to come and give you fish, they say they cannot come there because they are afraid. You bear the risk. Maybe I'll take somebody canoe. I'll cross over to that island and take the fish there. Here at Governor's Junction in Bamenda, customers are bargaining on the price of the fresh tilapia that has just arrived from Bambalang. Mingo Francis is one of the customers who hails from Bambalang. He says fresh tilapia fish harvested from the waters of Bambalang is a delicacy. We like it. There are some people that they would just like to prepare simple pepper soup. You just need to clean it, remove the scales from it, cut, just boil water, you add some maggi, salt and pepper. You will like it. Bamenda inhabitants are also fond of the fresh grilled tilapia fish. At Bonaprizo Bar Maitunquen, many are seen savoring the delicious grilled locally bred tilapia. Stella Selamo, a grilled chef, says many prefer the local fish over imported ones due to the quality and nutritional value. The difficulties we do face when attending to customers is that they always give us stress in that the products are very expensive. So we try to explain to them also that they should understand that the farmers have done their best to see that they grow the fish. 
to be healthy. Presently, the ones we get from the market are really expensive. So the prices ranges from two five. 3,000, 3,500, 4,000, and 5,000. The diverse local efforts to supply fish in the region has been boosted by state support. The director of Mkwen Bambui Fish Porn, Grace Fokem, says the government-owned Earth Porn, which she controls, serves as a production site for fingerlings. The fingerlings or young fish are distributed to farmers for further rearing. Precisely, we are in Pond 4, which contains clarias, that's mudfish, tilapia. The purpose of these ponds is to mostly for fingerlings production, to supply farmers so that they can stock their ponds. It is really the lone station because the other sister stations like Bamising, like Ubomitu, they are not functional due to the crisis. Many, many farmers are getting into the activity, especially within Mezam Central. Those who could not continue with the activities in the hinterlands, many have come back to settle around and they are carrying on this activity very intensively. There is a lot of improvements. People do concreted tanks, plastic cages to promote these activities. Consuming the product to fresh, the nutritive content and the families too are kept up to date. The fisheries sector in Cameroon faces numerous challenges, including a lack of data on fish stocks, an influx of industrial fishers from other countries, subsidy-driven overfishing and illegal unreported and unregulated fishing. But efforts like those of the population of northwestern Cameroon could be the game changer. Residents prefer local fish, which doesn't need to be trapped very far, preserving its quality and freshness from their northwestern clientele. With some homegrown ingenuity, even amidst all the insecurity and challenges, entrepreneurs are succeeding in providing quality fish for local customers. Reporting for Africa Calling, this is Sylvie Yukfu in Bamenda. Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International. In Kenya, cotton farming in Kenya has faced considerable challenges due to disease and poor weather conditions. This has led to the collapse of the textile industry, which was once Kenya's second largest employer. The country is now forced to import raw materials and cotton products from neighboring countries. However, farmers have now started reaping big rewards due to the introduction of genetically modified cotton by the government, boosting the dormant ginneries in the region. Our correspondent Victor Maturi reports from Kiranyaga County, Kenya. At the Joseph Dickert farm in Kembembe village, Kiranyaga County, workers are busy harvesting the new variety of BT cotton. BT cotton is a genetically modified pest-resistant cotton plant. It produces an insecticide to combat bollworm, a pest that attacks crops. According to Dika, the new BT cotton is a game changer in his life after the introduction of the crop one year ago by the government. This variety of BT cotton is very good, and we started planting it last year after it was imported. We find it better than the old one. This one takes four to five months to mature, but the regular cotton took nine months, so we found that BT cotton's yield is very high. Yeah, BT cotton. 
ya zamani the two varieties hat 89m and kca81m which have grown in kenya for decades produces low yields leading to farmers incurring losses dika says he ventured into the new variety of cotton after receiving training from the ministry of agriculture officers mimi ni mzee kwa hivyo I am now old, so I don't have the strength to plant other crops like fruits. The day I was trained was when I decided to plant this variety. It's easy because after planting and weeding, you just wait for the harvest and take it to the market. This season I planted maize and I harvested nothing, but I'm happy I will harvest the cotton. Again, we are waiting for another round of rain in October and April to begin next season. A few kilometers from Dikai's farm, Evan Singure is a well-known cotton farmer in Nyangate village. According to Ngure, he harvests 800 kilos of gin cotton from his one-acre farm after every three months. With the older variety, Heart 89, I could harvest 300 kilos. The current one, BT cotton, it's not affected by the famous pest known as bollworm, so I can harvest 800 kilos at a go. So far, there are 10 farmers in these areas of Nyangati village, as well as other farmers within the country venturing into the new variety. Even right now, we are waiting for the BT cotton seeds to be brought to us so that when the rains come in October, we will be ready for planting. Johnson Mwai, another farmer from Mwea East location, tells Africa Calling that since he started growing cotton in 1967, he has never reaped big from his farm until BT cotton. Mwai says he stopped planting other crops like maize and beans two years ago due to harsh weather conditions to focus on BT cotton variety. Each sack is 35 kilos and you can harvest 100 sacks. Each kilogram costs 55 Kenyan shillings. There you will get a lot of money per hectare compared to the old variety where we used to get 20,000 Kenyan shillings. Personally, I believe in BT cotton and I have two hectares just for it. I've managed to pay school fees for my kid and use the remaining amount for other things. I was the first one to plant this cotton in this area. Some farmers started too, but they stopped on the way. But I see that they're back, trying again after realizing that I'm doing well. People even visit my farm for field studies. Organizations such as International Service for Acquisition of Agrobiotech and Kenya Agriculture and Livestock Research Organization have been championing the research of the genetically modified cotton in the country for the last two years. Daniel Magondo, a lead BT cotton farmer and a chairman of Society for Biotechnology Farming of Kenya, says farmers are grateful to the government for providing free seeds, the move that is attracting farmers to revive the crop. The farmers who are willing to plant, they go to the Ministry of Agriculture, they go with their ID card, they get the amount of seed they want to plant in their acreage. And after planting, the genus are connected to farmers. So they come and get the seed cotton from the farmers' uh, buying centers where they pay farmers cash on delivery. Planting of cotton or BT cotton, it needs early planting. 
And early planting, I mean dry planting. You prepare your land in the month of September when it is dry. You do dry planting and then you wait for the rain because sometimes the rain is too erratic. And you'll find that we would like to tap every drop of rain so that the cotton can, can grow. And as you can see where I'm standing now, this cotton did not even get enough rain. If it got enough rain, I could be expecting higher yield from this field. It is estimated that there were approximately 50,000 cotton farmers in Kenya and were able to produce 40,000 bales of the Hat 89M cotton yearly. But the industry lost its glory in the mid-90s due to low cotton prices, climate change and the importation of second-hand clothes. This led to the closure of most generies in the country. Magondo says the government should distribute BT cotton to other areas to revive general industry which had lost glory. My message to the Kenyan government is that the counties that has not integrated cotton in their county development plan, they should take the cotton and make it a crop that will help many farmers so that those farmers can be supported by the county governments. And at the same time, I would also like to urge the farmers, because the climate change is real and we are experiencing it, let them turn to cotton growing because cotton is a drought-tolerant crop. It cannot leave you with nothing like the way we are seeing in our maize fields and other fields where we have nothing to harvest, but in the cotton field we shall get at least something to buy food for our families. However, organic agriculture lobby groups are against the move to introduce genetically modified plants in the country, saying that there is possibility of contamination of seeds, that is GMO and non-GMO, as most farmers exchange seeds traditionally in various local markets. Eustace Kiarie is the chief executive officer at Kenya Organic Agriculture Network. The push is driven that BT cotton has high productivity, it increases yields, uh, less resistance uh, to pests and diseases. But over time, uh, these have shown uh, to fail across the board. Because there are also other issues of contamination. For example, if our farmer wants uh, to, to plant organic uh, cotton, and uh, you know, there are also those issues of cross-pollination. Uh, and we have seen in uh, countries like Canada, where farmers who have uh, grown uh, organic maize being contaminated by BT maize from neighbors, and then these organic farmers are taken to court because of using a technology that they have not uh, paid for. There are all those many issues that uh, we need to consider even before the full rollout of this uh, BT cotton. Lobby groups says more research is needed on such crops, adding that Kenya should maintain the ban it had imposed in 2012 on the use of genetically modified crops until their safety is confirmed. According to Kiarie, the same technology has failed in other African countries, leading to the losses of huge money. Burkina Faso started uh, planting uh, or commercializing the BT cotton in 2008. And uh, seven years later, they had to abandon planting this uh, BT cotton. And the reasons were that the cotton they were getting uh, when it was 
taken to the ginery. The threads were very short and the quality of the cotton uh, was very low. And cotton was the main uh, uh, cash crop uh, for Burkina Faso. And both generis, uh, the companies uh, and farmers uh, lost a lot out of this technology. It was estimated that they lost uh, around 27,000 uh, US dollars because of the low quality of uh, seeds, the low productivity and poor quality of the cotton. If you were to learn from Burkina Faso, I would advise for caution in terms of uh, adoption of this technology. In 2006, the African Union adopted a resolution stating genetically modified organisms were not welcome on the continent. It did not take long before the resolution was shredded after it became apparent GMOs have the potential to redefine agriculture. Despite those issues, the African continent is slowly becoming the next frontier for GM technology. Reporting for RFI's Africa Calling, this is Victor Muturi in Kirinyaga County, Kenya. Check us out on Twitter, Africa underscore underscore calling. We're at Africa underscore underscore calling. Staying with Kenya, many refugees come to Kenya. They're from neighboring countries mostly destabilized by political conflicts and war. They're part of the influx which has doubled around the world compared to 20 years ago. According to UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, out of 82 million people forced to flee their homes globally, more than half a million have come to Kenya. Correspondent Carol Gachacha-Mucheru reports on the experience of asylum seekers in Kenya. A group of refugees from various African countries are meeting here in Nairobi, partly to support each other, but also to get support for the difficult processes of applying for asylum or residency. Emmanuel, a young man from South Sudan, is here at the meeting. He fled his country due to war. For Emmanuel, Nairobi has been difficult, but nothing like the nightmare he left behind. I came to Kenya in 2015, December. I live because it was a matter of choosing between death and life. There was a crisis in my country and my village where I came from was not traditionally ours. It belonged to other community. When violence broke out, it was unbearable for me. So I lost relative and that's why I decided I have to, this country is no longer safe for me and that's why I left. Emmanuel is just one among over 1,000 South Sudanese living in Kenya. He found shelter with the United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR, which welcomed him and provided guidance on how to be registered as a refugee. He now lives and works in Nairobi. While there is a small Sudanese community in Kenya's capital, they are not the largest refugee community here. According to UNHCR, the majority of refugees and asylum seekers in Kenya, more than 50% originate from Somalia. Other major nationalities are South Sudanese, Congolese and Ethiopians. The reason why they fled determines what sort of application they need at the Kenyan Immigration Department. Damaris Bonareri, a legal affairs human rights monitoring and response advisor at the Kenya Human Rights Commission, explains the complicated system. So when you come in as a refugee, you don't have any documents. The first thing you get is an asylum seeker pass. 
and these asylum seeker pass cannot be used to get you much. Sometimes even the NGOs around, they'll tell you they're not able to serve you because their mandate is to serve only refugees. And if you're an asylum seeker, you're not a refugee, you see. So an asylum seeker really has to follow up to make sure they get recognized as a refugee for them to start getting certain services. But still even having that document of a refugee, there's a limit to services that you can get in the country of asylum. For asylum seekers, access to these basic services is pegged on documentation given after the registration process, which can take months, even years to complete. Benin Manyang was born in Kakuma refugee camp in northwestern Kenya. She is visiting Nairobi in order to attend this meeting for refugees. She tells Africa Calling that there is a whole process once you arrive in the camp. My name is Benin Manyang. I by nationality and a refugee from Kakuma refugee camp. Once you arrive into the camp and report yourself to us office, they will take you to reception, whereby yes, they are going to follow up your registration process. You will stay there, and after done with registration process, they will give you a place to stay and actually give you a materials to use as you stay for that period until you stabilize yourself. For Emmanuel, settling down in the capital city, Nairobi, took effort and patience to complete the application process. When we arrived, we were warmly welcomed. We were given series or intervals of appointment, appointments whereby when you finish stage one, stage two, then we were able to get some documents. So the process was easier, but it took us a while almost seven months to get uh, registration. Children born into refugee families are called second and third generation. Even though they were born in Kenya, they are considered immigrants. They are not given automatic citizenship at birth. This complicates their official status and their identity. For Eric, one Rwandan refugee, lack of access to the right documentation has been a headache. His family fled the Rwandan genocide in the 90s. He was born and raised in Nairobi. He asked that we don't use his real name. Eric speaks to Africa Calling after the meeting. He says because of his lack of an identity card, he can't access even basic services. Uh, It's tough. It's really tough because you see... When you get to 18, especially in Kenya, you have to you're considered an adult, and you have maybe to go to college, campus, maybe find a job, find some hustle, and you need your own ID. At times, it becomes difficult to explain even to the police when they arrest you, because some of them they don't have enough information on how, on how to handle refugees in Kenya. So it's quite a challenge, even applying for the basic things like uh, government services. Exit right. It's it's quite a tough, a tough thing. Police can be rough on refugees without papers in the capital. For Benin, life without papers in Kakuma camp up north is equally as hard. Many of them experience psychological problems. The refugees require a movement pass, which takes up to three days to process. The pass expires after seven days. Some refugees in the camp feel helpless with restricted movement and lack of health care. Benin says many have taken drastic measures. It's very hard to afford like uh, health. Let's say that we have, uh, we have hospitals in camp, but at the same time we don't have medicine in such hospitals. So you find yourself that you are sick and you are not able to get 
the medicines. Not only that, but there are so many deep challenges that are really facing them. And when you don't have any support from their outside come, it really become hard for you. Yeah, so many are going through trauma. Sometimes you had a lot of suicide cases in come due to the situation that they are in. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta signed a new law late last year, 2021, creating significant changes in policy on refugee economic inclusion and integration. The new act also allows refugees an opportunity to earn a living instead of depending on aid agencies. According to Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, refugees increase productivity in their host countries when they are integrated across various communities. They also help enrich their local communities, creating cultural diversity within the local population. Refugees also help nurture understanding and appreciation for social diversity. For Benin and Emmanuel, life is better away from their original homes, but more needs to be done to help refugees to lead better dignified lives. They need to earn a living just like everyone else. They also need to see progress in their lives and the lives of their children's children and future generations. Carol Gachacha Mushero for RFI's Africa Calling, Nairobi, Kenya. Africa Calling. We're almost at the end of our program, but we have music maven Alison Hurd in the studio. Hi, Alison. What song do you have for us? Hi, Laurentula. Let's head off to Kenya to hear the sounds of Ben Sol. He's one of the country's most popular singer-songwriters. He's in his mid-twenties and already has a Grammy Award under his belt. He's written songs for other famous Kenyan musicians like Suti Sola. He went to number one on the charts in 2021 with the single Nairobi, and it featured precisely Suti Sola, Niviri, the storyteller, and Meja. The song allegedly talks about the Nairobi dating scene and uh, how everyone is not necessarily very faithful, but it's a great one to dance to. I hope you like it. Excellent. Well, thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 22 of Africa Calling. We'll leave you with Ben Sol. We're taking a tiny break, but we'll be back for a special on August 5th, focusing on the Kenya elections. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. This episode was edited and recorded by Stephen Helsley and Cecile Pompiani. Goodbye for now. Sun
grang Rada, squeezy madame ni blanda Jana kuzwali mkaza His family, uh-uh Get together kwa bed Your story to make a da My boy wengine blanda Wata kukulia mama Na kuchekeshe sana Madame, madame, eh Madame wasiku hizi Wana machali wengi nilichapa moja juzi Ika ingiana